Um, th- there was a guy, and he, it was his first time in the city. Uh, he, he was a country bumpkin, and he was visiting the city, and on this particular day, he brought his whole family with him. He'd, he'd never been to the city in his life before. And when he arrived in the city, he went into this huge, big hotel building, and he was there in the hotel foyer, and there was this elevator. He'd never seen an elevator in his life. And what, all he saw was two doors open, and a very young, attractive, sorry, a, a, an old, haggard woman walked into the elevator. The elevator's doors closed. Minutes later, the elevator's doors reopened, and out walked this young, attractive woman. He shouted, Billy, get your mother! Uh, one of the most common questions that certainly I get asked and that maybe you've asked in your own life is, how can I change? How can I change? I hate the way I am. I don't want to stay in this predicament in life. I, I, I don't want to stay in this situation. I've got issues, habits that I, I seem to keep repeating in my life. I, I want to break the cycle. I want to go to a different place. How do I change? For some of you, that's a really serious question. Because, I mean, that's the heartache in you. you. You really want to change. And today's message is all about the power to change. Uh, and we're going to be looking at what the Bible calls the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we're going to be, this is part of our Holy Spirit series. We're going to be looking at what are the fruit of the Holy Spirit? How does this impact our lives? And I believe this is God's power for you to change. First thing I want to say is this, that God changes people. Religion doesn't change people. There are a lot of religious people out there, and they're not changing. It doesn't change anything. It just binds people up in tradition and legalism. Jesus found that. In fact, Jesus wasn't very religious, to be honest. Uh, His problem was with the religious people, not with the common people. The common people loved him. It was the religious people who crucified him. It's the same in every generation. Religion is horrendous. It binds people up. So just to be clear, we are not religious here at Destiny Church. We're just people who believe in God, and we allow God to do a work in our lives. But religion is about you trying to change yourself. Religion's about you just try a bit harder and you'll get there. Take a few more brownie points, uh, boxes, you know, and earn your points before God. Deal with your issues. You roll your sleeves up. You deal with it. That's religion. Uh, but that's not what God does. You see, uh, if I was to find like a dead tree and I just got a whole lot of apples and pears and tied the apples and pears to the dead tree and showed you the tree you would say, Peter, you've just tied those apples and prayers to the dead tree. You know that the tree didn't produce those. And that's like someone saying, okay, I'm just going to love people more. Or, okay, I'll just, I'll just be more at peace. Or I'll just be happier and joyful. You know, it's, it's like someone doing that. It's like tying an apple and a pear to a dead tree. It's not come from a root. It's not been birthed. It's not been produced. It's just forced. It's manufactured. It's human-made. That's religion. That's not the power to change. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. That's not what we're talking about here. You see, I believe that God changes people. People who are recovering from different addictions typically get involved with 12-step recovery programs. We have a a 12-step recovery program running here called Celebrate Recovery. And they typically follow similar steps, 12 steps. And step number two, if you've been on one of those, is very simply that you need to acknowledge you ain't got the power to change, but there is one greater than you who, some, in alcoholics and honestly, call him the higher power. We know him as God, Jesus Christ, that he has the power to change your life. Step number two in the most effective recovery programs known to our world is there's one bigger than you who can change you. Isn't that interesting? 
that in the most widely accepted uh, course for changing people's behavior patterns, step number two is acknowledging God can change you. Not you can change you, but God can change you. Now, that doesn't mean you don't take responsibility. That doesn't mean you don't have to put boundaries in place. It doesn't mean you don't have to put in your own effort, and we'll come to that in a few moments. But primarily, the source of change, the source of the fruit, is the tree. Not a dead tree, but an alive tree that's bearing fruit. That's how change takes place. It says in Philippians uh, chapter 2 and verse 13, you see, we we read self-help books, right? And the problem with self-help books is this. It It tells you what you need to do to change, but it doesn't give you the power to change. It tells you what you need to do, and you say, oh, that's all fine. Well, I now know what you need to do, but I don't have the power to do it. But that's different with God, because it says in Philippians 2 verse 13, for God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. How does that happen? Well, it's called the gospel. How does it happen that someone has the power to change? It's because of the gospel. Here's the gospel. God loved the entire world, each and every one of you. The most rebellious individual on earth, God loved For all time, he has loved all people. And 2,000 years ago, because of his love for this world, God entered into human history. Jesus Christ was born, the Son of God. He walked on this earth. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. And at the end of it, he died a death on a cross. It looked tragic, and yet we discover it was the very plan of God to save you and me. That what happened in that moment on that cross in the center of human history was one man died for all people. That he, the only sinless person who has ever lived, died on behalf of all of us sinners. And you are a sinner. And I am a sinner. I I know it's not PC. I know it's not comfortable to acknowledge that. But before God, you totally are. And I totally am. Before God, we are in a place of great needs. And only Jesus can take away that sin. And without that sin being taken away, we're eternally doomed. Jesus died in our place as our substitute on the cross. And the Bible teaches this, if we put our faith in him, the one who died in our place and rose again on the third day, as we put our total faith and dependence on him, not in some hero, 2,000-year-old hero, but the one who is currently, right now, in this room, alive, creator of all things, the one who died and rose again. You put your faith in him, you will come alive. And I don't, but I am alive, I've got emotions, I know. I mean, I'm talking about deeper. I'm talking about in the spiritual realm. You're going to come alive in the depths of your being. You come alive to God. Previously, you were dead to God. Now you come alive to God. It's the moment you put your authentic faith in Jesus, you come alive. Now, I know most of you in this room have had that experience. And you can testify to, "Uh uh-huh, that's real. I've seen that. I felt that. I'm a different person since believing in Jesus. It's not just like I flipped over a new leaf. I changed. The Bible calls it being born again. So all of a sudden, when you put your faith in Jesus, here's the great thing that happens. You're forgiven for all your sin. And he hasn't just cleared the debt, he's also credited to your account. You become righteous, holy in the sight of God. And then the great thing takes place is God comes and takes up residence in you by his Holy Spirit. Now that's amazing. Unless you were holy, God the Holy Spirit couldn't dwell in you. 
How could, how could the Holy Spirit dwell in an unholy person? It's, it's impossible. Only by the cleansing of that blood that was shed on the cross can you be totally holy in the sight of God. I know that your behavior always isn't, right? I mean, mine is, but not necessarily yours. <laughs> but we are declared holy in the sight of a holy God. And then God, the creator, takes up residence in our hearts. So where does the power come from to change? God. Where's God? He's everywhere. But he's also in you and me if we're believers in Jesus Christ. You see, the world changes people by taking them out of their environment. But God changes people by taking the environment out of them. And then he uses them to change their environment. That's what God does. He comes, takes up residence in your life. The truth is, you've been saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. You've been saved. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, he wiped your sins away, he declares, you're righteous and holy. And that's in the realm of your spirit. You're being saved. You and I know what that is. You might not have called it being saved before, but you've got a soul. It's your mind, will, and emotions. And how many people realize, I don't always think holy thoughts. Don't always feel holy emotions. I know God declares me righteous in my spirit realm. I'm totally clean in the sight of God. But in my soul realm and mind, will, and emotions, I still struggle with thoughts. I still struggle with fears and phobias, right? So we're being saved. There's a process going on. God's working on us. But we will be saved. And that's in the realm of our bodies. And that's when Jesus Christ returns. There'll be a resurrection of the dead. And the Bible says we will be given resurrected bodies. We'll serve a resurrected Lord. And we'll live in a new heavens and a new earth, a resurrected earth. And that's the eternal destination of all believers. We've been saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. So the truth is, God is doing a work in us, and his agenda is very simple. God's agenda is to make you like Jesus. To make you just like Jesus. That will be instantly completed when he returns and you meet him face to face. But in the process, we're just now we're in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Now you might think, well, I don't know if I want to be like Jesus. So some of you might be here, you're thinking, I'm not sure that feels so natural to me. Let me tell you, it's the most natural thing for any human being. The Bible says at the beginning of time, you were created in the image of God. So all I'm saying is, let's get back to that. You were created in that image, and that isn't just something to do with the technicalities of how you were made. That's also an indication of your entire purpose that you are created to reflect his likeness. So becoming more like Jesus is totally fulfilling your humanity. It's why you're on earth. So you might be here today, the most unreligious person in the world, and yet you need to know you were created unreligious atheist to reflect God. And you can know him, and he can change you. So he wants to take up residence in your life. See, being like Jesus isn't just pretending to be like Jesus. Right, I'm going to be like Jesus. I've learned a good message today, church. I'm going to pretend to be like Jesus now. You get a pair of flip flops. Right? <laughs> I, I, I don't know why I walk like that. I, I, I hope Jesus didn't walk like that. Like that. I don't know how do you pretending to be like. Is that what you do? Okay, we're going to be like Jesus. Pastor says we're going to be like Jesus, so I'll pretend to be like Jesus. Well, listen, there's no point in you pretending to be like Jesus. The best person pretending to be a Jesus is Jesus. He's the best person to pretend to being like Jesus. And here's the way it happens, is that he is in you by his spirit, and just let him be Jesus. And let his personality shine through your personality. And let his miracles happen through 
your hands and let his great thoughts become words that you speak to change other people's lives. It's him in you that makes the difference. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about the Holy Spirit taking up residence in you. Paul says it this way, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You see, when you came to Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus who died and rose again, literally you're saying, that's the end of my old life. I'm now God's. And now the life you now live, your old self is dead. That old self that was taking you to a lost eternity is dead, buried in baptism, dead through faith in Jesus. But the truth is, you are alive in Christ and his life is pulsating through you. And it's, it's right down the realm of your spirit and it's impacting your whole life. Henry Drummond said this, willpower does not change men. Time does not change men. Christ does. Okay, but that's talking about bearing positive fruit. But what about dealing with the negative fruit? What about for the stuff in your life, weeds, that you just hate being there? Uh, issues, addictions, stuff that you think, man, I just don't like that in my life. How do I deal with the negative? I don't just want to know how to display the positive fruit. How do I deal with the negative stuff? James, could you help me? All right. Could you bring a glass of water and a bottle of water? That would be great. Sorry. No, just come here. Come here. It's fine. Let's hear for James. Yay. Thanks. You sold the glass. Okay. In fact, let's see the glass. So we've got, uh, we've got air in this glass, and I don't want the air to be in the glass. So the air is still in the glass. Wait a minute, let's try. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not coming out. So I've got an idea. So James, you hold that. The way we get the air out of the glass, hold that one. I can't bend over. If you can just hold it, that's great. The way, the, way you, the way you stop the air being in the glass, the way you keep the air from getting in the glass is you fill it with water. And when you fill it with water, how many people would agree the air is out of the glass? Is it clear enough or do you need to illustrate a bit more? Do you think they got the point? There's still a bit of air. James said there's still a bit of air in it. I think there's a bit more air in it. Okay, so... Yeah, so we would agree that air is now. Let's hear for a volunteer. Thanks, James. Have a glass of water, man. It's amazing. Air is out the glass. How did we get the air out the glass? Not by trying with our own effort to get the air out the glass. We just filled it with another substance. How do you deal with the issues in your life? You know what many people do when they have issues in their life? They focus in on the issues. It dominates the horizon. It fills every moment of their lives. Do you know how you deal with the issues? You get close to God. You allow him to fill every part of your being and see what God does. See how it changes things and it wasn't you. See, and then who gets the glory? Oh, I got the glory because I worked so hard and dealt with my addictions. Well, if you let God do something and it's actually far more powerful and it doesn't mean you don't have disciplines. We'll look at that in a minute. But I'm saying that fundamentally it's God filling your life that deals with the stuff that you couldn't have dealt with in your own power. It's his power in you. Step number two in 12-step recovery. We're all in recovery, right? 12-step recovery. Number two, God is the one who gives you power to overcome addictions. It says in Romans chapter 8 verse 2, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free 
from the law of sin and death. It's describing two laws, two laws at work. The law of sin and death and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Law of the spirit of death taking you down. But the Bible says when you come to Christ, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus overcomes the law of sin and death. I guess the way you could understand it is you have an airplane, right? They're huge things. Big, heavy, several tons things. I mean, how does that thing float? It's incredible. Don't think about it too much when you're up there. Just trust it is. How is it, how is it possible for that, that mass of metal and plastic and people to be up there for so long? Well, there's two laws at work. There's the law of gravity, and that would keep that thing down. But there's two other laws that overcome the law of gravity. There's the law of thermodynamics and thrust. So the shape and the aerodynamics of that plane is such that it's ready to take off when there's thrust. And when there's thrust, it overcomes the law of gravity. And what happens when God comes into your life is this. There is a law that was at work in your life. It was taking you downward. It was your default position. It was your bias like a bowling ball. You kept going that way. It was downward and it eventually would take you to hell. But when God comes into your life, when you accept Jesus Christ, he changes you from the inside out and a new law starts to work in your life. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And it's upward and it overcomes the power that was going to take you downward. That's what God does. I was chatting to a friend who was a church member uh, and he died a few years ago. I remember chatting to him at the door in Leith and he looked at me in the eyes and said, I hate heroin. He said, I hate, I hate heroin, he said. I hate it. And he struggled with heroin for years. And he was, you know, every every day was dominated with, I can't go in there, I can't go there. Because he knew the pain. He knew how it had such a hold on his soul. And I won't say his name because some of you might know him, but he died of an overdose. So you wonder, well, did he go to heaven or hell? You know, I believe the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus overcomes the law of sin and death. I believe that. I believe it does that eternally, but I also believe it does it in this life. I believe that the power of God that gets you to heaven is also the power of God that can get you through this earth. Now, he lost the battle on earth, but that doesn't mean that the eternal battle wasn't lost because it was won 2,000 years ago on the cross. And do you know what? I'm I'm not saying you're all of a sudden instantly going to overcome all your issues because some of you will go to your grave with your issues. But here's the ultimate comfort that's bigger than anything else I can give you today is if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've overcome eternally the law of sin and death and you are saved. You're his. You're safe in the palm of his hands. Nothing can take you out of his hands. That's the truth you need to know today. Now, I also believe that same power of God can help you in this life and can cause you to overcome addiction or whatever issues are in your life. The negative fruit can be dealt with. It says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So how do you deal with the desires of the flesh? Don't focus on them. Just walk by the Spirit. Just stay in step with the Spirit and we'll explain what that looks like and how that feels. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, brethren, the Spirit of God is not barren. If he be not in you, he must, so if he be in you, he must be inevitably producing his own legitimate fruit. Old leaves, if they remain on the trees through autumn and winter, fall off in the spring. We have seen hedges all thick with dry leaves through the winter, 
Neither frost nor wind removed the foliage, but the spring has soon made the clearance. The new dislodges the old, pushed away as unsuitable to. So our old corruptions are best removed by the growth of new graces. Old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. It is the new, as new life buds and opens up that the old worn out things of our former state are compelled to quit their hold on us. Our wisdom lies in living near to God, that by the power of his Holy Spirit, all our graces become vigorous and may exercise any sin-expelling power over our lives. The new leaves of grace push off the old, uh, sheer affections and habits of sin. So the Bible describes the fruit that the Holy Spirit bears as the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's described in Galatians, um, and we're going to read it in chapter 5. You see, on this earth we understand the principle of fruit. There are natural fruit. So you have vegetables bearing vegetables. You have trees bearing trees. You have biological fruit. Human Human beings bearing human beings. Animals bearing animals. But you also have spiritual fruit. And that's what's listed here for us in Galatians chapter 5, where God produces God-like qualities in us. It says in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, in fact, read this with me all together, one, two, three, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There are There are nine gifts, sorry, nine fruits listed there. It's interesting that as we're going to look at, I'll be here next week teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, and we're going to be looking at the nine gifts of the Spirit over the next few weeks leading on from next week. And there are nine gifts and there are nine fruits, interestingly. We need both the gifts and the fruits. Some people say, oh no, we just need the gifts, the power. No, no. And some people say, no, no, it's all about character. We just need good personality and displaying the characteristics of God. Well, actually, we need both. There is a difference between the fruit and the gifts. You see, the gifts are given. They're not earned. They're given to you. But the fruits are grown. They need to be cultivated. You could have the most immature believer, one day a Christian, prophesying over someone. They didn't earn that. They haven't displayed any great maturity to, to do, operate in that powerful gift. You can have a one-day-old believer praying for a sick person and they get miraculously healed. It's nothing to do with the maturity. It's just it's a gift. It comes by your faith. But you see, fruit, however, grows. Gifts are given. It comes in an instant. Fruit grows. And that's important in our lives. You see... If, if, you've, if you've ever had tomatoes, anyone ever had tomatoes? Wow, yeah, me too. Uh, you know, if you, if you go to the uh, you know, supermarket and there's a box of tomatoes, red tomatoes, you can buy them or you can go to the little expensive area and you can buy vine-ripened tomatoes, right? How many people think vine-ripened tomatoes taste a bit better than ordinary tomatoes? Okay, here's Why? Because ordinary tomatoes are actually picked prematurely and they're sprayed with carbon dioxide which cause them to go from green to red quickly. 
it's fast ripening. Whereas vine ripened tomatoes take their time on the vine. They ripen in due time. And therefore they are fully ripe and fully ready to be enjoyed. You need to understand you cannot, you cannot rush. You, you, you cannot all of a sudden become mature. It takes time. There's a process God is doing in your life. And as you walk with God, you bear fruit. Gifts are given, but fruit is developed. Gifts represent power and ability. Fruit represents character. Both are essential. It's like a young man given a sports car. It's a big powerful gift he's got. But he's immature. He hasn't got the maturity to handle the gifts. He could end up crashing that thing. So you need the maturity to handle the gifts. Sometimes that's why God's been given a bad name by immature believers who have used the gifts like a kid with new toys and yet they were serious. So we need to develop both the character and the gifts. Gifts without character is dangerous. Character without gift is powerless. We need both. Jesus had both. Jesus is our example. He had the ultimate awesome character and he moved in great power and authority. You need both. So let's just look at three of them. I mean, we could take time to look at all nine, but for time's sake, we're not going to. Just three of the fruit. And, and actually looking at each of the fruit isn't, what's, isn't what it's about. It's not about, okay, there's the nine gifts, there's the nine fruits, go do it. It's, that goes back to religion because it's not about you going doing this. It's about him bearing it in you. So really I want to get on to how does he do that. I want to get on to that. So I'm just going to take time to look at three of the, the fruits that are apparent, the first three. Number one, love. The first fruit, love. And I think here's why it's the first fruit. Because it says in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Kind of makes sense if God's going to take up residence in your life, that the first fruit to be born would be love. Does it not? If God, who is love, takes up residence in your life, would it not be the most obvious thing? That obviously the first fruit would be love. Next week when we look at the gifts of the Spirit, I'll unpack this further. But the truth is, 1 Corinthians 12, talking about the gifts, is followed by 1 Corinthians 13, which says, if you haven't got love, the gifts are meaningless. Because God is love. You know, if, if, it's, if it's not all about Him, then operating even gifts He's given becomes meaningless. The first gift, the first fruit is love, because God is love. It says in Romans 5.5, 5, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, many of you know he loves you up here. But when it's talking about this, it's talking about an experiential knowing. The Holy Spirit has been poured out and it says that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's an experientialness of a knowing. It's not just knowing here. It's, I know he loves me. I feel it. It's an experience in my life. It's like me with my son holding his hand, his face in my hands, and I say, I love you. You know it. And there's something about that just causes you to grow and come alive. The Holy Spirit wants you to have an experientialness of this knowing of love. And now that you know it, what happens? You start to display it. It's, it's as you start to know that love of God, not it here, but here, and it's a reality in your life, and it's the Holy Spirit that does that, then all of a sudden you start all of a sudden naturally just you're loving people because you're a loved person. If you don't know you're loved, you're going to be a 
attention-seeking. You're going to be hurtful. Hurt people hurt people. But when you get healed by the love of God, all of a sudden you start to become a means by which God's love can now start to be expressed and heal and touch other people's lives. The second fruit I want to look at is just simply joy. Haydn, the great musician, um, when he was asked why his church music was so cheerful, he replied, when I think upon God, my heart is so full of joy that notes dance and leap, as it were, from my pen. Joy. The fruit, second fruit of the Holy Spirit listed is joy. It's just something that erupts within you. As I said a moment earlier, I said we have a spirit, a soul, and a body. Remember I said that? <clears throat> we experience satisfaction in each of those areas. In our bodies, when we experience satisfaction, it's called pleasure. In our soul, when we experience satisfaction, that's in our mind, will, and emotions. When we experience satisfaction, it's called happiness. But in our spirits, when we experience satisfaction, that's called joy. That's where this fruit comes from. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, joy. An example of happiness versus joy, okay? Happiness is a man in his sports car. It's a beautiful sunny day. It's just not talking about Scotland. So somewhere else in the world. Man in his sports car. It's a beautiful sunny day with his girlfriends. Going on a holiday. They're driving to the beach. He's got money in his pocket. That's happiness. Okay, let me give you a different scenario. You've got the man, it's raining in his sports car and his roof's down. He's skinned, no money in his pocket. He's been dumped by his girlfriends and he's not going on holiday, right? He's now no longer happy. <laughs> See, happiness is de- dependent, dependent on external circumstances. Joy isn't. Joy is dependent on God. And God doesn't change. Therefore, joy can be constant, even if circumstances change. Because your source is God. God's the one who changes your life. And your joy can be found in Him. Don't place all your emphasis in your soul, folks. You will live a roller coaster of a life. Some days you'll be happy, some days you'll be sad. But there's a God who has never changed from all eternity to all eternity who has come into your life and is the solid foundation of your being. He is the source of joy. Let him be the source of joy that comes from deep within you every day in your life. Circumstance come and go. God doesn't. He's constant. Let him be the source of your joy. Habakkuk, chapter 3, or if you're American, Habakkuk, verse 17 to 18. He says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, though there be no fruit on the vines, Though the yield of the olives should fail and the crops and the fields produce no food. Though the flock should be cut off and there be no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. You see, he understood that joy was not dependent on circumstance. Everything was going wrong. His crops were failing. His sheep were dying. Everything was just going wrong around him. And yet he had joy because God is the source of joy not circumstance. And then there's, in fact, let me make you two parallel statements here, and these are both equally true. It is impossible to be filled with joy without the Holy Spirit. You might have happinesses of, based on circumstantial things or nice thoughts, 
But it's impossible to have joy without the Holy Spirit. And equally, it's impossible to have the Holy Spirit without joy. Now, you might suppress that because of the dominant thoughts that are so filling your head. But it's there. It's right there. It's there wanting to bubble up and break through every other sadness in your soul. Let it. You know, it's a funny thing. And I experienced this. The Apostle Paul says, rejoicing yet sorrowful. And I feel that way sometimes. There's a joy right here, and yet there's a sorrow in my soul. It doesn't mean you won't get depressive feelings. It doesn't mean that you won't struggle with emotions. All I, all I know is when I, when I arrest them and bring myself back and let him get my attention, there's a joy that's always been there because he's the source of my joy. I can't think about God without having joy. I can't connect with him without a joy starting in the depths of my being. Can't. Impossible. And then there's the fruit of peace. It says in 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Now may the Lord of peace himself grant you his peace, the peace of his kingdom at all times. Say all times. In all ways, say all ways. Under all circumstances and conditions, say under all circumstances and conditions, whatever comes. The peace, again, is like joy. It's not dependent on circumstances because it's the Lord of peace. It's the Lord who grants you that peace. It's not your employer that gives you that peace or your money that gives you that peace. Don't let them become the source of your life. Change the source focus. Trust in God. Let God be the source of your peace. Mary Slessor, who made a huge impact in Nigeria as a missionary in a previous century, um, she describes uh, her living conditions and she said this, I'm not very particular about my bed these days. I lay in a few dry sticks laid across, covered with a litter of dirty corn shells. There are plenty of rats and insects, three women and infants, uh, a a three-day-old lie alongside and there's a dozen sheep and goats and cows outside. Do you wonder that I sleep little? But I have such a comfortable, quiet night down in my heart. You see, circumstance may be like that. Your emotions may be all over the place. But right in the depths of your being, in, in the bit that's really you, the bit that's come alive when you came to God, there's joy and peace and there's love coming out. And there's other fruits, but we'll not look at them for time's sake. Let me quickly move on because this is important. I want you to understand how to bear this fruit. Philippians 2 verse 12 to 13 says this. Work out. Say work out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in. Say work in. You both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we've got to work out our salvation for God is at work in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. You don't work for your salvation. Jesus did that for you on the cross, remember? You didn't earn that. You believed in the one who died in your place. He did what you couldn't have done. He earned what you couldn't have earned. He died in your place. You put your faith in him. And if you've never done that, today, think about doing that. Think about making that decision. Just at the end of the service, I'll give you the opportunity to do that. Put your faith in Jesus. You put your faith in him. He did it for you. But what you do is you don't work for your salvation. You work out your salvation. 
you live out from that place of being accepted. And then it says, for God is at work in you. So you're working out of being saved and God's at work in you. What's it saying? It's saying there's a partnership going on. God's doing something in you and you're going with him in that process. You're allowing God to do something in you. It's a partnership. You're doing a bit, God's doing a bit. So how does that partnership work? How does God produce this fruit in you? Number one, he changes you by his spirit. Let me read a famous passage from John 15. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let the Holy Spirit and you be in close communion. Abide in him. Live in constant connection and relationship with him. The Holy Spirit's pictured in the New Testament as as a dove. Imagine there was a dove on your shoulder. And imagine you didn't want him to fly away. How would you walk? be so aware of the dove. Why? Because it means so much to you. You see, you're, you're, you're aware of, man, I need a connection with the Father. He, by his Spirit's in me. And he's promised he's going to abide with me forever. But I, I want to walk with him. I want to be in communion with him. Jesus said, you abide in me. Keep that connection live. It's him who's come to take up residence in your life. Live in a constant connection with him. And that fruit will be born through you. How do you partner with the Spirit? Develop a relationship with Him in prayer. That's your bit. He does His bit by coming by His Spirit and changing you. Your bit is give Him time. Create space in your life for prayer and relationship. I don't mean religious prayer. I've got to do my hours prayer. Oh, man. Alex, I love following you on Twitter. I love how you love going up the hills and spending time with Jesus. I mean, it's not like, oh, I've got to do my religious duty. You just love praying. Me too. I think we get to spend time with God. That's the best. And it's out from that, fruitfulness comes. Fruitfulness just comes. Not because you've mustered it up. It's just because God bears fruit through people like that. It's like a suntan. Okay, other, other countries, right? So imagine you're in another country and there's a thing called the sun. <laughs> Same place you have those sports cars with the soft tops. You take your top off in the sun, you're going to get a tan. You don't need to do anything about that. The sun just does it for you, right? But you had to take your top off. Guys. <laughs> just to be clear. I love in Scotland, you know, any tiny glimmer of sun, even if like it's, it's coming through the mist slightly. See the guys, oh yeah. And they're... <laughs> the, Drop from here to here, man. A uh, tiny glimmer of sunshine. But you, you don't need to work up a tan. It, you just get tans. The sun does it. You just need to make the choice to expose yourself to the sun. So if you're not taking any time in the presence of the Father, in the presence of the Son, in the presence of the Holy Spirit in your day, then no wonder your life's not changing. 
Because Jesus said, if you abide in me, you're going to bear fruit. And sure, it's fruit in terms of effectiveness of life, absolutely. But it's also fruit in terms of his characteristics born in you. Because you spend time with someone, you're going to be like them, right? You ever spend time with really optimistic, big-thinking people? If you spend days with those people, you become a big-thinking, optimistic person. Ever spend time with a mumbling, grumbling, complaining individual? Right? (laughs) Rubbish, isn't it? You start to mumble, grumble, and complain. You do. Even though that's not your typical nature, you start to become like them. You become like the people you hang out with, and if you're hanging out with God, God's a big-thinking, optimistic, joy-filled God. And his personality traits is going to start rubbing off on you. So expose yourself to the presence of God. First, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Fellowship, fellowship, koinonia, relationship, partnership, close, intimate connection with the Holy Spirit be with you. Live in that relationship. I have a great friend. He's called Ivan School. You know, you've seen his poster outside our building. He's coming to do a healing service, uh, three healing services through the day at the end of August, just before we launch our fourth service down in Leith. He's a great guy. Do you know what I love about Ivan? So if, if, I've, if I've ever stayed at his house over in Glasgow, if I've stayed the night at his house, I come down in the morning. <clears throat> I get up pretty early to pray. I, I come down at, say, six in the morning, and he's down there in his living room, sitting, just smiling. He's been up for a couple of hours. And he just, he honestly, he just loves spending time with Jesus. He can't wait to get up in the morning. Imagine that. <laughs> and then if, if he gets a bit of time in the afternoon where he can just have some time alone, he's so excited. He honestly, he's so authentically excited to spend time with Jesus. It's amazing. You know, he started an orphanage, and from the orphanage, there's now 300 churches. So neither, unless you abide in me, I am the vine, you the branch. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. And look at that. Guy who's seen 300 churches come from an orphanage. That was Ivan. God in him, but Ivan. He's a guy who loves spending time with Jesus. Is there a correlation? Absolutely absolutely it's not about you getting your sleeves rolled up and working harder than everyone else to bear more fruit it's not that it's letting God do something that only God could have done in your life secondly so firstly he changes you by his spirit secondly he changes you by his word Hebrews 4 12 the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit both joints and marrow he, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I mean, we could all tell stories of times when we've, I mean, the Bible's alive, right? It's just a living book. You open that, and it, it so often, I mean, it's, oh, it doesn't shock me anymore. I kind of got to expect it this way. When you open the book, it's speaking about what I did today. Or it's speaking about the questions I was asking today. Who's had that before, Right? The rest of you don't read the Bible. Because that, that happens. It's, it's a, this thing is alive. It speaks like a sword right into our situation. It's life-changing. It's incredible. And as we let it change our lives, it changes and transforms us more than anything else good with the power of the Spirit. So how do you partner with God in this one? How do you work with God in letting the Word change you? 
Well, Psalm 1 gives you the key. It's called meditation. Say hum. No, don't actually say that. Psalm 1, verse 2 to 3. His delight is in the law of the Lord. That's talking about God's word. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. Sounds like fruitfulness to me, right? Constantly bearing fruit. How did that happen? Meditating on the word. Now, hum, meditation is about emptying your head of everything in it. Now, for some of you, that's real easy. Because there wasn't much there to start with. So you just, one thing gone and it's all gone. But when the Bible talks about meditation, it's not talking about emptying your head. It's talking about filling your mind with good things and focusing in on truths. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about Bible meditation. And it's allowing that word to dwell richly in you. So uh, I guess the best analogy would be the cow chewing the cud. The cow has several stomachs. The cow has some grass, eats the grass, swallows the grass. 11 o'clock, he fancies the same grass again. So instead of eating the grass from the ground, new stuff, he pukes into his mouth and then chews the puked grass. He chews it again. This time it's slightly flavored. And he just gets a little bit more out of it this time. Then he swallows it into stomach number two. Hmm. 12 o'clock comes, cow's a bit hungry again. Up it comes, has a good chew in it again, and this goes on. Out it comes. But what's happened at the time? It's got, there's no goodness left in it. I mean, he's got every single last bit of goodness out of that little bit of grass. He's managed to, because he's chewed on it. So this is what I was saying about the Bible. Let the word of God be like that in your life. That you just don't just read it and then forget it. Read it and then chew it over, mull it over. Like, think about it then later in the day. Open it later on and read it again. Mull over. As you mull things over, honestly, you can mull verses over that you've read a hundred times and you'll still get more out of it. That's how alive the Bible is. It's so alive. Then thirdly, he changes you through circumstances. Romans 8.28 says, We know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew... He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Remember that's God's purpose, to make you like Jesus. Here the Bible makes it really clear. Everything God can use to your advantage, to do something in you. What the devil dumps in your life to cause a stink, God can use as fertilizer to cause good things to grow. God is eco-friendly. He uses everything. (laughs) He'll use everything. You see, there are things that go on in our lives that wasn't God. It really wasn't God. And some of you blame him for it and it wasn't him. He didn't offer that sickness. He didn't offer that devastating circumstance. He didn't offer that. Not Not everything comes from God's hands. But everything must pass through God's hands. He will allow things to happen, but he doesn't offer things. But when things happen and he allows it to happen, you need to know with him in that situation, he can work it totally to your advantage. 
And I believe that. I really believe that. And some of you have known that. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. He produces in you fruit. You see, God teaches you about the fruit of love by exposing you to situations and people who are the opposite. He'll expose you to unlovable people. See, it's easy to have love and say, oh, I've got the fruit of love in my life when you're around people who are just lovable. But it's when you're exposed to those circumstances or people that are contrary to what's going on in your soul. And then all of a sudden you find a love you never had before. Sometimes you'll be in circumstances and God will let you be in those circumstances. He didn't offer them, but he'll let you be in them and he'll help you get out of them. But in those circumstances, they're very joyless circumstances, but you find a joy bubbling up despite the circumstance. You all of a sudden realize there's a fruit there and it's in the circumstance actually that fruit's developed. God causes all things to get work together for the good. You see, some change their ways when they see the light. Others only change their ways when they feel the heat. Um, how do you partner with God in this? How do you partner with God when the circumstances are tough? Because we all face those tough circumstances. You choose your attitude. So Viktor Frankl in the Second World War in a concentration camp had everything taken from him. He'd been stripped of his family. He'd lost his wife and his children. He was in a devastated situation. And there at gunpoint, an SS officer commanded him to take off his jewelry, his wedding ring. It was the last thing that he could have called his. And as he took this off, he thought, I'm powerless, I'm devastated. And this is what he said. This is the thought that went through his mind. He said this, Everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. You see, life is not what happens to us, but it's what's happening in us. It's that's what counts. It's as you're in those circumstances and you choose, I'm going to walk with God through this. Wow, you've just given God the opportunity to develop a fruit in you because he works with our free will. So God, by his spirit, develops you and produces those fruit in you. And the way you partner with him in that is you give him time. You pray. You have a prayer life. God, by his words, produces things in you. How do you partner with him in that? Well, you meditate on the word. God, through circumstances, even circumstances that wasn't his authoring, can produce great fruit in you. How do you partner with him in that? Choose the right attitude, despite the horrendous circumstance. But this is the last thing. This is, you know what, of all things, this is the thing that blessed me more than anything else when I just was studying this. The thing that blew me away more than anything else as I was looking at this is this. The fruits of the Spirit are a revelation of God. Let's read them again. Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, I don't believe that the fruits of the Spirit are just what God is developing in you. I believe the fruits of the Spirit are a description of God. You see, it's God by His Spirit coming and living in you and displaying His character through you. And here's the thing. We often associate God as love. But how often do you associate God as joy? (laughs) Or God as a peaceful God? You see, love... God is love. Amen. God is joy. 
God is a joyful God. God is a peaceful God. God is a patient God. How many people are glad about that? God is a kind God. Some of you need to know that. You've been abused. You don't view any authority as kinds. You need to know the authority of all authorities is a kind's God. Goodness. God is good. He is good. He really is good. He's not bad. God is good. The Bible says all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. Faithfulness. Loyalty. Faithful. Gentleness. Isn't that amazing that the Almighty is gentle? I mean, how unlike the gods of human beings is that? Human beings make up idols and gods and they're kind of ungentle. But the creator of all is gentle. Self-controlled. I love that one, self-control. Because it tells me that if I walk with him, I'm not out of control, but I'm more in control. It's not that God's controlling me like I'm a puppet. That's what the devil wants to do with people. That's called possession. God comes to put you back in control, self-control. But you need to know your God is self-controlled as well. And maybe your dad wasn't. But your God is. Your God is a self-controlled God. I love that these fruits not only help me to become like Jesus, but they give me a revelation of who Jesus is. The fruits of the Holy Spirit are a revelation of God. And actually, here's the thing. The more I focus on him, as he is, the more his likeness will be revealed in my life. You become like those you hang out with, right? You become a more faithful person. You become a more self-controlled person. You become a more joyful person because you've hung out with a joyful God. It says in 1 John 3, verse 2 to 3, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know, this will all come to a sudden completion at the moment when Jesus returns. Now, that may happen in our lifetime. It might. Jesus might return in our lifetime. Whenever it happens, here's the truth. The moment you see him, you'll be like him. But here's another truth. As we progressively see more of him in this life, we become more and more like him in this life. And we display the life and the fruits of God just naturally. Because that's who we've become in Christ. Okay, let's pray. Father, I pray just now that you would touch lives in this auditorium. Every life here, I pray you'd touch in a distinct way. I pray, God, you'd bear your fruits in us as a people here at Destiny Church Edinburgh. God, we thank you for everyone that's here. God, we have probably an extra 300 seats currently in our auditorium that we need to fill. We pray that you would fill them with precious people who also need you in their lives and we want them to be part of our family here. Okay, if you're here today and you just know that you are not walking in relationship with God, but you want to. You know that you and God are not yet connected, but you want to be connected with God. You've heard today me talk about how Jesus died for you on the cross and rose again. Okay, well, this is your moment now to put your faith in him. This is your moment to connect with him, 
and to commit your life to him. And if you're here today and you're saying, Peter, I don't want to live another day without being connected with God. I'm willing to place my faith in Jesus. I want to walk with him for the rest of my life. If you're saying that today, then let me help you connect with him just now. If you're here and you're saying that, I invite you to pray this prayer with me just now. Just under your breath, pray this prayer and make it your heart's cry to God. Repeat after me. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, thank you for dying for me on that cross. For rising again in the third day. I believe you did that so I could be saved and forgiven. I ask you to come into my heart and change me. Give me a new start today, I pray. I believe, Jesus, you're alive. And I commit myself to being your follower. Jesus, be the Lord of my life from this day forward. Amen. Hi, I hope that today's message has helped you. If you want to find out more about us as a church, download more audio teaching, give us feedback, or make a contribution to our ongoing work and mission here in Edinburgh, please visit our website at destinyedinburgh.com. May God continue the great work that he is doing in your life.